Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Good? Yes, sir. I know who I am. Did IQ just drop shot? I could have been. I have a plan. I like this shit. You know what's off, bro? It is your destiny. Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Let the games begin. Hello and welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast with Jason and Lee. I'm Jason. I'm Lee. And this week we are going to be tackling Shane Carruth's 2013 film Upstream Color. Uh, we were just fresh off Ghost Story and we realized that uh, Shane Carruth had edited uh, a ghost story. It was in the episode. We had talked about it. Well, we had joked about it. It was a misunderstanding. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I guess it sort of, you know, planted the seed. We had... Uh, because we had actually planned on talking about this, or actually this, this film, we had planned on doing it like a year ago. Yeah, absolutely, a year ago, I mean, and I'm the one who got cold feet. I think I wasn't ready at the time. Mm. I um, I had watched it, and for some reason it hadn't really settled in my brain as something that I was capable of attacking at that point in time. I felt like I needed to kind of just let it, I don't know. Yeah, fester a little a little longer. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, it's it, Sometimes you just get that feeling. I remember when we had started recording There Will Be Blood, there was one of those instances where I was like, I can't do this today because my brain's just not in it. And when we it yeah. came to Upstream Color, I had pitched it to you because I really wanted to attack the film, and I'm glad that we're doing it today. But it was one of those movies that I was like, I have to get this one right, and I have to do it justice. And I, I feel passionately about this. Exactly. And if I fuck it up, I'll, I'll never be able to do it again. <laughs> exactly. I, I feel like, well, the pressure's on for today. <laughs> but at the oh, well, same time... Whatever. <laughs> yeah. But I feel this uh, This is a movie that uh, I really, really like. And I, I'm, I've been hoping to get to it for a long time. And I think that that one year uh, difference really has given me a little bit more... Um, I, I think, you know what, to be honest, Ghost Story was the one that opened my mind to potentially being that's able I, to analyze this one in a proper way. It's kind of, it's very fitting that this is followed, not not just because of the people who worked on it, how it's fitting, mm-hmm. uh, but also it, it, it's fitting because the narratives are told in a very similar way. Yeah, and, yeah. and I'm so glad that we did this a year from, from when we had planned to, because A... My, the way I, I, I tackled this show is totally different from what I would have done at the last time I would have came in very able-minded to have a discussion, but like n- nothing prepared, hoping for the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, also this film, it's weird because it's, it's one of those ones that I, I'm not a big second watch guy. Okay. I, I don't I don't really do that for a lot of films. And the films that I do it for, I tend not to get a lot from it. But this was one of those ones that even though I, I had the general makeup of the film still fresh in my mind from watching it a year ago. Right. I, I so benefited from seeing it a second time because... I could relax because I was able to enjoy so many of the things that while your mind racing left, right, trying to piece it together the first time, I, I would never have been able to get the second until a second watch, you know, just things in like imagery because there's so much of it so quickly. You, you, you're you racing to keep up with it. I'm so glad I got a second chance to just to zero in on bits and pieces and go, oh, OK, that's. That, that's a relief or more importantly I got to enjoy the film more this time you know I, I wasn't trying to work the film I was just allowing the film to play and then I, I just got into it I was just enjoying what is just a really well pieced together work you know and not just something that represents a challenge in my life you know 
<laughs> right. That makes a lot of sense. I feel like almost exactly the same. However, I still feel it's a challenge because, I mean, I've watched it three times. Oh, I mean, yeah, not, not, to, not to belittle it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, even the first time I watched it, I was actually, um, I was sick and I had stayed right. home from work. My girlfriend uh, was still in university at the time. Uh, she was getting set to graduate. And so, but she was home from school that day because she didn't have a class. And I told her, I said, listen, I'm going to sit down in the time I had a rocking chair here and I don't have it anymore. Um, <laughs> not, not great for recording rocking chairs. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> and I, uh, I watched it on my iPad, which a lot of people would consider it's a sin. But at the same time, I, I had headphones on, which really enhanced the, the viewing. And I remember finishing the film yeah. the first time and going, uh, turning to Leslie and saying, Jesus fucking Christ, I just watched something that was mind-boggling, but eye-opening at the same time. <laughs> and part of me yeah. part of me really, really enjoyed it. And another part of me was like, okay, this is one that I'm going to have to rewatch over and over again because there's no way in hell that I'm going to understand everything that's going on. And this was back in 2013, yeah. so four years ago. I had watched it another time last year when we were gearing up to uh, to possibly do it. And then I got cold feet. Because I was like, I'm not ready yet. I can't do it. And now, like I said, I've and so total now I've watched it five times. And I'll be honest, even when I was watching it again this week in preparation for this, there's just so much to talk about that I couldn't write everything Absolutely. down. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> well, exactly. You know, I like I just like when I when it came to writing notes, I just went with a interpretation. But I mean, ultimately, because it's such an open uh, and, and interpretive work, it's really going to benefit more from further discussion. So yeah. I mean, those listening to this, you might like there'll be pieces that yeah, I mean, if you watched it and you felt what the fuck was that about, <laughs> you'll probably definitely get something from from this episode because we at least we at least think we know what we're talking about. But like at the same time, it's one of those ones you could be so way off. <laughs> you know, uh, or you could miss the initial fission, even if you're talking about something in similar terms. Yeah. And I would hope that we don't, but I would say that while listening to us talk about it, it might be good. It's it's maybe better to start your own conversations about it uh, and, and try to piece pick it, pick it apart with somebody who enjoyed the film and and try to piece it together yourselves just to see what you've come up with because it's one of those ones that you're 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 not it's not going to stop as soon as this episode stops you know no that's it i mean and it, i mean we we pointed this out on the ghost story episode as well that ghost story is somewhat similar in that way where mm-hmm. Whatever you bring to the film, you're going to get something out of it. You know, whatever basic knowledge you have about certain situations, about certain objects, certain things. I mean, Karuth is actually playing with that, that subjectivity, if you will. And I think it's kind of interesting because, you know, even like what you were talking, you were pointing out, uh, there was a couple of people on Twitter that uh, when I told them that this is going to be the next episode, there's uh, Jameson Worsley, I think his name is called, at Warl Jame. Um, he says it's one of the most f- what the fuck films I've ever seen. <laughs> and Carrie Lynn, uh, our frequent collaborator, Carrie Lynn, Carrie Lynnland, yeah, she said, but what the fuck in a good way with a you know a giant exclamation <laughs> yeah. point. All caps. <laughs> and I just wanted to give a shout out also to a hipster pop geek at Stephen M Keller. So Stephen uh, had point uh, pointed out that he's owned the movie for years and he guessed that he should finally watch it based on the fact that we're going to be covering it on the show. We're actually going to be covering it. We appreciate your dedication as always, Stephen. Yeah, it's super <laughs> cool. We love it, man. And so that's it. We've got these things. Like people have been putting it off the same way as we had put it off in Stephen. So hopefully uh-huh. as we're talking about it like after I play the trailer, 
we're going to come up with our own little things. We're going to go into our little, you know, uh, discussions, but hopefully the discussion is going to actually help us see differently as well, because <laughs> yeah, I know that Lee is definitely. not going to see this the same way I did. And I'm positive. I didn't see the same things that, um, that, that Lee did. So this should be a really, really fun one. I'm really prepared to attack it and I can't wait to get into it. So shall we play the trailer, sir? Let's do it, man. Every week on Real Spoilers, what we do is we take that week's big release on the weeks that we guess right, and we spoil it for you. So if you saw a movie and you want to talk about it with your friends, but maybe maybe you don't have any friends, we can be your friends in podcast form. We'll talk about the movie in rich, vibrant detail, and it's kind of like a book club for movies. Yeah, we're so, just a bunch of movie nerds. Yeah, and you know? so it's just a long-form conversation about the movie, going through its plot, talking about what worked, and uh, a lot of times what didn't, and making fun of it when it doesn't work. And if you like the show, feel free to share it on uh, your Facebook social media, Twitter, verse, thing, stuff. So that's what we do on Real Spoilers. It's like a book club for movies, only with less Oprah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pop Culture Case Study. Hi, I'm David Hart, host of Pop Culture Case Study, a podcast that analyzes film from a psychological angle. On Thursdays, we take a look at an older movie, pick a theme, and then apply the research that has been in the psychological field to it. Then on Monday, we tie all of that to a new release. Lastly, there's a section of the show called Fangirl Fixation, dedicated to my wife Britt's ongoing film education. We discuss older films that she's recently seen, as well as the upcoming releases for that week. You can find Pop Culture Case Study on your podcast player of choice, and I will be there, as always, diagnosing your favorites and judging you for what you watch. Do you know this place? I want to say yes. Go in there, just go in there. For you. I want to. I haven't slept at all. Is there, is there a direction that you feel drawn? I'm going to go wherever you go. You know that. You're scaring me a little bit. I feel like you know. Won't let anyone near them. There's a crowd back in the corner. Violent. I've never seen the parents behave so. They can get very protective. you is somehow special. It is better than anything you've ever tasted. Each drink is better than the last. Hey, Sheila. Take a drink now. And welcome back. We hope you guys enjoyed the trailer for Upstream Color, a film directed by Shane Carruth that stars Shane Carruth and Amy Simons. Lee, what did you think about the film, man? General impressions first. I know we just had a little bit of a conversation before the trailer, but I mean, it's, we, we didn't really say if we actually enjoyed the film or not. So did you yeah. like the film? Yeah, I mean, it's Jameson hit the nail on the head, man. Uh, it really is. <laughs> I mean, for first watch, it's uh, it's it was definitely a, a what the fuck film uh, i mean I, I, you said it too when reading that synopsis i i didn't i didn't read the synopsis maybe that was a mistake because yeah. I, some preparation for what you're kind of getting into might be necessary uh because it, it oh i disagree not... but keep going well i mean like i i it depends on on the viewer like i survived 
Yeah. But I, I think that that was because I, I've watched a lot of films analytically, so I can piece myself together from, from where I wherever I land. Whereas, I, I don't know, I think like a lot of people... Like if if the, the opening scene is a guy taking out rubbish and a bunch of kids playing around and mimicking each other, it all seems it all seems a little like Lynchian surreal, you know. It's yeah, all, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Even when dialogue is introduced to the film, it doesn't really start. I I mean, I guess when it comes to like the the brainwashing sequence, that's when you kind of get what's going on for the right. first time. Yeah, it's yeah. very easy to keep track of that. And then you lose it again <laughs> because the film goes all over in different directions with three interlocking stories, kind of four, three and a half, all different places, maybe different times. You don't know how long it is between these takes, you know, you don't yeah, know. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. It could be like because of changing haircuts and clothes, this could be days, weeks, years, you know, you don't really know what the fuck's going on. Mm-hmm. Every bit of imagery uh, is kind of telling you a, a lot of different Im- information at, at one time. And, I think to a lot of viewers, that's going to be an immediate no-go. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those films that just puts up a brick wall if, you, if you're if you not ready to engage with the fact that the film doesn't want to give you a straight narrative. Uh, I, and that's something I, I think, I hope I said about a ghost story as well, because it's very much the same thing. While there is a, a character, I suppose, who's present, you can follow through, it doesn't really give you any tangible... It's more about the experience, uh, at least, I mean, not that there isn't, you know, cement stuff underneath right. the imagery that you can use, but I, I think the impression is supposed to be, if you watch this one time, it's about an experience that you kind of pick up on bits and pieces <laughs> yeah, that, that may sense. be applicable to you, or your, and that's very much like a ghost story, you know, you'll feel grief and you'll feel that, that desperate loneliness and that even though you might not understand exactly what it's trying to say, you'll it'll hit you at times that you know music, sound, things will just catch you. Yeah, and you're it it wants you to focus more on that than trying to make sense of the film. Upstream Color is exactly that kind of film. Right. Um, I guess me going into it first time round with an analytical mindset because I knew we were doing it for an episode. I was I was getting battered all left, right, and center because I couldn't keep up. You know. Yeah. But as I was saying, second time round easier just took it for what it was got to enjoy it a lot more and i think if i were to recommend people it is one of those films we you always say this on the show you know it's one of those films it's challenging for a reason it's the kind of shit we should be watching you know you you need a break from from the sort of processed blockbuster stuff that you usually watch Mm -hmm. and if you're going to do it it should be something with a little, you know, artistry about it, like upstream yeah. color and a ghost story. So, yeah, throw uh, yourself it, a curveball is what I say. Yeah, curve your curveball. That's exactly what you said. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I would absolutely say this is one of those ones, but I don't. I, I much like curveballs. I wouldn't expect you to enjoy it. You know, I. I, I That's a sad fact, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's it is true. I mean, I I know I enjoyed it generally first time watching. But I, this is one of those ones that if I got something from it a second time round, and I usually don't depend on that, right? Then it's one of those ones that I'm going to absolutely recommend people see twice, because once you've seen it once, you, like your mind will absorb that much, inf- at least half the information necessary to enjoy it, right. <laughs> and and from there, it'll be a little more breezy when you return to it. You might not understand it at any point. I mean, again, experiential, you're maybe not supposed to. I see that. That I agree with. I mean, I remember when we were talking about Inherent Vice, 
the first time yeah. when you sit down to watch it and you try to pick it apart. It just becomes so weird that it is supposed to be taken as an experience. And you you hit the nail on the head right there with Upstream Color because, I like I said, I, I say this often on the show, is that I use my parents as, as a barometer for who the audience yeah, is for, yeah, right? absolutely. And I don't <laughs> – if I if I think maybe dad would get something out of this, but my mom would be like, you know, we're going to have to stop talking to you now. Because you, you can't recommend these types of movies because we're yeah, sitting there yeah, going, never, like, what the fuck? I'm not taking a recommendation from you. You keep giving us shit. Exactly. You know, I, one of my friends, one of my friends, uh, DS here, I, I remember recommending he watch uh, Gus Van Sant's Jerry at one point and he right. fucking sat down and watched it with his girlfriend and they're no longer together now. I don't think it's because of that, but at the same time, uh, you can't he, disprove. He, he, he's still, <laughs> he still to this day tells me, fuck you. And he watches weird shit, but Jerry was one of those movies that he was like, what are you doing? Why? Why am I watching this? It's fucking terrible. But I still enjoyed it because it was the experience. I had never seen anything like that. And that applies yeah. to Upstream Color. It's a film that, although you could possibly, like, you know, uh, you know, draw certain threads to other films, especially the films of Terrence Malick. I mean, if we look sure. at it, uh, it, it, he's probably a reference uh, because of the whole transcendental nature of it. You know what we were talking mm-hmm. about off air. You know how you know he uses Walden and Thoreau essentially in in Upstream Color as the well, not necessarily the basis. I remember hearing an interview with Karuth Karuth. The, one of the reasons why he chose Walden was because he found it so boring when he was studying it. He figured that if ever anybody was using something to hypnotize someone with, it would be that because it would be easy. Wow, <laughs> and that's so amazing. I that's, thought that that's was... totally true of my experience with fucking transcendentalism as well. It's yeah. just like a hypnotizingly dull. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I I loved it. I I I enjoy the 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 sheer inventiveness of yeah, transcendentalism. No, I, I, I mean, I agree. Like that's. I mean, that's why I like um, Emerson's nature. It was like it was great. I fun. love that. Right? Yeah, it's 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 weird because it's just so vague and and abstract. You know, it's it's yeah, yeah. it's it's one long rolling prose about your experience. Blah 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 cement yourself in the blah 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 you know like it's really not supposed to be taken quite literally but at the same time he's attempting to take it literally even though it it feels like he's just rhyming shit off from the top of his head and putting it to paper (laughs) and then saying that's how i feel man that's the way you should live it it, it makes its point you know it's definitely like it's it's supposed to be experienced like that uh but at, at the same time you know the difference between just reading it leisurely and trying to go to university and, you know, you're studying it. It's a different ball game, man. People <laughs> sitting you down and trying to make heads or tails of transcendentalism in fucking essays and shit like that. Like, you have to use it for concrete essay writing. Yeah. Disastrous and exhausting and hypnotizingly dull. <laughs> I disagree with you, and I'll tell you why. In the collection of essays on nature, he has one called The American Scholar. And yeah, uh-huh. that essay was really interesting because what he does is he basically tries to uh, – it's like a, a call to arms basically of every American scholar there is, every writer and whatnot to ditch everything that had to do with Great Britain and how literature was written yeah. back then and all that so that the American um, uh, culture can have their own set of rules you know, when it comes to writing prose. And it was funny yeah. because uh, when I was studying um, Shakespeare's uh, tragedies – I uh, I actually did a transcendentalist reading of King Lear, 
And it was really cool. fun because there's a lot of nature imagery in there. And I had yeah, submitted absolutely. it to Bishop's University in Sherbrooke. And it was funny because there was a woman there that's a Shakespeare scholar. I won't name her. And I remember, well, long story short, the the teacher here, Stephen Adamian, who I'm hoping I'm going to get on the show at one point so he can come talk to us about Jap- Japanese cinema. Yes. Great guy. Wonderful, wonderful. Probably the best teacher I've ever had. Him and Jean-Philippe Marcoux, the other guy we wanted to possibly have on for Detroit. These guys have changed my worldview, and it's they're amazing guys. It's such knowledge that comes from them. And I remember a Damien telling me about the essay. He's like, you know what? This is a fun gimmick. This is really cool. He says, I had never thought of that. And he says, what's funny about it is that how Emerson shaped, you know, his his essay and you know nature and the oversoul and all that stuff. He says it's kind of weird because what you've just done is shown him that he didn't change anything. <laughs> It's essentially yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's the same shit. And so <laughs> yeah, starting stuff by borrowing exactly the shit that's come from. Before. So it's like it's like you know Emerson was sort of like you know the American Tarantino where he's just borrowing shit from the British to construct his own philosophy, <laughs> yeah, remixing it. And it was really funny because I remember sending it in and I was accepted into the um, the the conference where I was going to go present the essay, but the woman who's in charge of the conference says you need to heavily rewrite this because it feels as though you just found a gimmick and applied it. And I wrote back a message and says, that's exactly what I did. And she says, but what are we going to gain from it? I says, well, you gain the fact that Emerson was full of shit a little, and I'm not taking anything away from him, but she says, well, that's not good enough. Uh, you should take a little bit away from him. <laughs> but at the same time, it didn't matter. I mean, here I wasn't puffing my chest anyway. So I sent an email back and this blew up in my face uh, I got. A, I sent an email back and I says, well, you know what? I can't make it that weekend because the Formula One season is starting, so I'll stay home. And Jean-Philippe Macou said, you know what? He says, you were accepted into that conference and that was really good for Laval University. And you shitting the bed like that makes us look really bad. And I was like, oh shit, well, I'm really, really sorry, but she was condescending to me and I didn't really give a shit. <laughs> and so I decided, fuck the conference. <laughs> But I, it's because I, I, I had presented it. You have to like a, you, you, you scar the internet for one dude that you kind of half shared a viewpoint with and then host your own show so that you couldn't possibly have to deal with the shit of people like taking your word but then ignoring it on the basis of some nonsense. Which is totally like, it's total bullshit though. I mean, what that, that was nonsense. Like, they like it enough that they feel it needs to be represented. Yeah. But at the same time, I have to change it. It has to, it has to tick a certain box to be read out. Loud. Exactly. Like, what the fuck? It was weird. It clearly made the impression. Surely that was enough. Yeah, but it's funny because you know, I was like, "Fuck this! Why? Why do I don't feel like rewriting what I wrote? You know, I it doesn't need a revision. Yeah. You write it. You take my shit and you write whatever the hell is you have to say about it. I said what I have to say about it. I'm moving on now. I'm moving on to something else. So it was kind of fun. It was kind of fun to have that whole transcendentalist aspect kind of show up in upstream color again where i'm like oh this will be interesting because you definitely get that malik vibe not only from ghost story we were talking about but also in upstream color where uh the the idea of of really using nature imagery in order to convey specific messages you know and i think that uh karuth in this one it it was kind of fun but i don't think he's using it in the appropriate way or the way that emerson intended i think what he's pointing to is 
just how much how full of shit Emerson was, you know, in a way. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. <laughs> I mean, like that's like uh, that's the thing. Like, yeah, when I when I initially um, watched the film, I, I thought it was maybe like an interpretation of like transcendentalism in like an urban society, right. a modern society. How how applicable is it? And I was kind of looking at that last year, and I watched it again this year. And what you're saying that it's kind of like a fuck you <laughs> to Emerson <laughs> and, and that that movement that I totally got <laughs> uh, because, because you know like the sort of overarching idea in transcendentalism is that you sort of, this connecting with nature brings about a sense of purity or divinity yeah uh, that you basically the closer to it you get the closer you get to God exactly yeah. It's it's basically I'll I'll quote my teacher Maku who said basically it's your projection of yourself onto nature will get you that 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 higher connection to a Absolutely. deity of sorts the oversoul he doesn't call him god specifically but he calls him the oversoul everyone's yeah, connected to the oversoul so yeah sorry keep going man. yeah no absolutely so uh, it's exactly that but when you kind of piece together what else is going on in the yeah, narrative man. and that's what i did this time around it, it very much felt like yes there's nature there maybe in a distractive distracting way for some people maybe to to upend the system but it really didn't feel like it felt like transcendentalism was there in in name, yeah. but not in spirit, you know. And and when I was thinking about initially a year ago, when I was thinking about like how the the pigs sort of rot to the ground yeah. and they they become they become this sort of blue essence that climbs into the trees, and and that all has some sort of mental link to the to the characters in this story, uh, and also a very physical link to the characters in that story. I was thinking, oh, well, that's like trans- transcendentalism because nature is in all of us, you know, and, and kind of with like airy fairy kind of interpretations like that, yeah, and yeah. I guess. But like the actual what happens with that nature to the characters and how they, how essentially that is used in the narrative essentially upends it. Mm-hmm. To su- suggest that it is almost the exact opposite of of divinity and purity that's being taken here, you know, or if it is purity, it's being abused along the lines to manipulate people. Yeah, it's, a set, it's like a very broad oversight of what the story felt like to me. And it's interesting because you know it could be an encapsulation of U.S. history and you know its relationship to philosophy. If you look at how like Purit- Puritanism when it came to the United States, like nature is evil, it will fuck you up, and you need to defeat it in a way, you know. And so I mean, yeah. when you have these connecting dots, where you, you like you go back to the to the um, to the early sixteen uh, hundreds when when the Puritans came over and. You know, they have this 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 philosophy of like where we have to charge into nature because there's something evil lurking there. And now with Emerson in like eighteen thirty six, I think when nature came out, he basically says, No, nature sure. is our ally. We have to go out there and that's where we're gonna find each other, you know, we're gonna find ourselves as well. And it I think that like through the years with these these philosophies that have just been compounded and new religions and Catholicism and now now heading over to capitalism, the idea that these two characters, Chris and Jeff, feeling lost seems appropriate, you know, because yeah. they don't know, uh-huh. know where to look anymore. <laughs> Basically, it's like, well, nature doesn't seem okay because now i've been trapped in in this this whole yeah, capitalist I've, I've been fucked landscape. over by nature exactly specifically nature has fucked me over you yeah know? nature can be used to do evil shit i mean the guy's getting worms yeah. and plants and whatnot and basically yeah, it takes your life from you yeah and i mean <laughs> it, it's the, the same thing that we were talking like we could basically say like you know even pharmaceuticals not all of them are chemicals there's some of them are going to be plant-based that they can use that are going to be used as narcotics to actually help he- people heal but at this time you have this one guy that's basically saying oh you know those pills that are supposed to be 
good for you? Well, fuck that. Yeah. I'm going to take advantage of you. So. <laughs> it also kind of feels like a, a post-philosophy film. Oh, I like that. that. That's nice. Because if you if you if you look at what nature was like the the yeah the and transcendentalism mm-hmm. and nature in that connection, while it does use you know a, a, an essential idea of getting connected with God and this bettering yourself ideal, at the same time, this is still some dude's idea that changes people's lives it's just another church you know it's just another building and eventually down the line like the, the transcendentalists were were tossed aside for the next movement just like you said you yeah. know and, and and that happens and that happens and it builds to capitalism where we are now uh and that's sort of i suppose veering towards a secular or more secular society but it is that connection to transcendentalism right that kind of helped me see that you know yep. it helped me connect that dot and i I think a lot of people who aren't really familiar with transcendentalism and its ideas probably might not pick up on that immediately. And but I mean, we're going to be steering clear from that from now on, though, because oh, I mean, yeah. a lot of the literature <laughs> that's probably out there right now, I, I did, I, I, I kind of read one or two things, but they, they picked up on transcendentalism as well. But I mean, that's the overarching thing that that's like you said yeah, that's the uh-huh, door yeah. with, with which you can kind of step into it and kind of look at it but i want to kind of get away from that as well because sure. i mean i if if karuth is actually trying to kick down these 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 ideas and say listen this is all organized shit and we have to get away from it to me what he's trying to do is is basically demonstrate that this is a deconstruction of the self through everything that may be of influence on a person's like uh, decision making absolutely the big question of the film for me anyway is what happens when all these social structures are destroyed right what happens when you're kind of just basically starting from scratch you know even if you're an adult you know you're going into this world you like even us today when we were walking through society this is a society that's not only shaped by our own experience but it's also shaped by our parents experience and their parents experience so we're kind of living down that vessel it's just basically the circularity that goes throughout upstream color as well so our decisions are somewhat informed by shit that we didn't have anything to do with in the first place yeah absolutely and so the funny thing is is that in a way i kept thinking of the matrix when i was watching upstream color and how our really our reality is relative based on our own experience and it's very very weird because you know i remember mentioned during ghost story that i thought it was like a pastoral version of interstellar and i think that yeah, upstream uh-huh. color could be cons- considered a pastoral version of the matrix you know if you strip someone of their reality you know karuth seems to be saying that people are more similar than they think you know if you look at just the shared memories between chris and jeff you know they can't even figure out who did what their experience yeah, uh-huh. is boiled down to the same their reality becomes <laughs> the same one which is weird because Definitely. when you, you when you're watching the matrix and then neo decides he's going to take the red pill instead of the blue pill he's basically shifting realities you know he goes yeah, from he, that he's starting a new life exactly because he knows nothing in this new one whereas he thought he was this guy he was this hacker guy in, in, in the world and he had his place set out and he was looking for something called the matrix and then when he gets to the, finds the matrix turns out he's some dude in a long line of dudes in a pod and he's just one that's kind of aware of it <laughs> exactly and what do you where do you go from there <laughs> funny thing because i mean from there when you look at it you look at the matrix there are no social structures in Mm. like when they're in zion or something like that they're just a a tribe of people that are trying to get through whatever the fuck mess is happening and i think that in upstream color it's essentially the same thing and so basically what i'm trying to say is that if we get rid of all these uh, the structures you know the customs the traditions our habits reality becomes this strange strange chaotic place you know to navigate if you're kind of looking for a sense of self and if the thief teaches us anything in upstream color 
is that social structures are very easy to navigate and easy to manipulate and much easier to control. You know, and I think that if you apply it to today's reality, you know, capitalism is the one that the social construct that's been taking over religion, right? It's a new form of religion that's eventually going to die out like everything else. It's a weird thing. Sadly, I won't be alive to see the end of capitalism. And I'm not... (laughs) Sadly. I'm not not, not some weird Marxist... Could be the end of days for everything we know. Yeah. yeah, Sadly. (laughs) But I mean, it's a a society we abide by right now. You know, I'd love to see what the next iteration is, you know? My my grandfather kind of went from that that religion into, you know, he lived through war and he saw the emergence of, of capitalism and being born in the 20s and whatnot, you know, it's not too far away from the industrial revolution, but it was still a concept that was very new. It was very, how could I put it? It was a like-minded society back then where people actually helped each other and individuality wasn't necessarily as much a thing as it is today. You know, yeah, people are uh-huh. trying to make it today and, and but they're going to make it on their own terms and they're not thinking about the greater good, you know, and I don't want to take something from Hot Fuzz, but at the same time, that's exactly what it is. We abide by these social constructs. You know, we part, we work, we provide for our families, we buy shit, we go on vacation, but we're all part of the same loop until we die. And then someone picks up from where we left off. Yeah. And right. I think upstream color really tackles those notions. And it's weird because I feel like when I finished watching the movie, I was like, motherfucker, I know I'm brainwashed. Leave me alone. It's, yeah. It felt like a very difficult <laughs> thing to it. deal all with. Right. I'm, I'm on Twitter. I know that I'm harping the same shit as everybody else. <laughs> I know that it all comes from a poisonous in- interpretation of our identity. Yeah. You don't need to remind me, film. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, you know, what, what Karuth might be touching on, and I mean, this is me reaching again, but... I think that if we look at it, broadly speaking, what he's touching on is the fact that our individual identity is shaped according to an imposed capitalist mindset. You know, you're tricked into believing that you're actually making choices, but in fact, those choices have already been made for you. And I think that echoes a little bit of the Morpheus speech in The Matrix as well, when he's pointing like to the battery and he explains to Neo, this has been a carefully crafted weird video game in which you're just one of the pieces of the puzzle you know you don't really mean anything and i think that you know if you look at like those certain parts of your identity that you think are are kind of you know who you are you know if, if you take the thief for example or even the sampler those could be like representative of massive corporations like google that sell your personal information in order to get money you know they tell her advertising yeah. according to who you are as an individual so it seems like you're making a choice but as, as I said, you know, that choice has been made for you. That's kind of like what's going on in Upstream Colors, where they're, they're, your projection of yourself is not necessarily who you really are. And I think that this is exactly what happens to Chris in the beginning of the film. You know, uh, the fact that she essentially is going through the motions of what her life actually is. And then once she's basically taken away, once that reality is taken away and she shot back into the world with no real sense of self. I mean, she loses her job. Uh, she's still lucky that she has the house, but she abandons that not too long after. I think that she eventually yeah. moves in with Jeff. And I mean, it's just this weird deconstruction of her identity that she has to build from scratch. And I think that it also applies to like organized religion, which is why I think, and I talked to you about this, why I got the impression that both Chris and Jeff, Jeff, sorry, were, were symbolic of of, of, of of having emerged from this cult, you know, and coming yeah, back absolutely. into society, you know, broken free and re-entered society, you know, trying to make sense of a new reality. I mean, we hear these stories from Scientology and whatnot, 
And it's somewhat similar, you know, the 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 the, the weird pains that they've gone through in order to try yeah. to reshape what reality they're living with. And it's it's funny too because it doesn't it doesn't have to be akin to brainwash. That's the, yeah. the okay. these social structures and what you your identity and what causes a collapse in that and a, and a starting of things can be something even like uh, rape, for example. Okay, you know? this just took a turn. <laughs> Yeah, but you're right. It is, it is term. a form of rape. You're absolutely right. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like because the identity that a lot of people, uh, rape survivors, feel is that they lost an identity or a piece of their selves. Yeah, it's about re- reconstructing what is it about you that survived. You know, what elements of your identity live now that someone has taken something that potentially you know yeah, I- yeah. you you identify with like your sexuality. You know, and 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 and, and how do you identify the world from there? And a lot of that kind of centers around this sort of big bridge term when it comes to, like, cults or uh, rape or even, like, educational or corporate brainwashing. All right, yeah, all man, that that's stuff. fair. It, it feels like trauma is the word, you know? Good, yeah. You must live on post-something mm-hmm. knowing that something is missing. That absence is trauma. Okay. And so that, that interpretation then leads into how potentially the loop, while it also looks, I, I think you're absolutely right with the, the social structures, and it, it's very endemic of how we as a society stop, piece together, start again, and yeah. potentially fall into the same patterns. Trauma can be, in a, in a rehabilitation sense, can lead to something similar. And I think Karuf does kind of look at that as he pieces the, the film together in terms of Chris's story, uh, her relation to Jeff, and also their shared relation to both the, the sampler and the thief, who all collectively are aware of trauma, and I think that's what connects them most, is that some are more aware than others. Some are aware of their own trauma. Chris and Jeff are aware of what their trauma is, or at least trying to be more aware of what their trauma is, because they don't actually know... What happened, Like, yeah. the brainwashing thing, yeah, they don't know how or why it happened, they just know it's gone or it, it, they're living past it. Right. And they're trying to piece it together collectively and that's like rehabilitation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but when when you look at the sampler, you know, he's somebody who's aware of others' trauma because his connection with the pigs, the pigs themselves, he can get near them and he can see the people living their lives and all of them containing the parasite that he has taken from them. Right. So in that sense, the, the sampler might seem something like a counselor, you know, like a, like a trauma counselor or somebody who tries to help in a way, try to build or piece together those or help those who have undergone a traumatic, you know, a traumatic event. Okay. And then the thief is someone who's aware of trauma and abuses it, actually takes the elements that people are missing and interprets it in a way that they can take it again from people right and so and it's it's weird because that's that's drawing here there everywhere across the script so like i can piece that together and hopefully as we discuss it i'll be able to try and piece together the the certain elements that i think kind of leads to that interpretation but the social structure thing the great vagueness of the story is that a lot of things fit this glove oh yeah but it's that loss and that rebuild 
feels like it's centered around characters attempting to deal with trauma. Um, I like your idea of trauma. Uh, it feels a little bit weird to me because it seems so negative. And I understand that when you're watching Upstream Color, yeah. you do have that negative vibe. Because it's pre- I mean, it is about somebody getting brainwashed to try it to is, keep their life yeah. together. <laughs> but I, I, I think that, you know what, what, for me anyway, the way that Karuth is trying to communicate this is that by breaking a human person down to the bare essentials, to me, this looks like a quest for human connection. You know, if you yeah. boil it down to its purest form, you know, separate from the outside factors, economy, you know, societal pressure, social structures, you know, we were talking about that, which, you know, which like in the end, all we have is ourselves or each other. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think mm-hmm. that when you're talking about people trying to reconnect constantly with things, I need to reconnect with uh, nature. I'm going to go out for a walk or I'm going to reconnect with who I am as a person, you know, so I'll bake a cake. I have no idea what people do. You know, to me, when I reconnect with something is is basically staying off social media. <laughs> yeah. Just besides watching Star Wars. <laughs> well, you know, what? I was, you know, that was my first idea. That's the thing that came to mind. Like last night when I went to bed after after chatting on Twitter, I was like, I need to clean this motherfucking shit up. So I <laughs> put on The Force Awakens for like the 50th time. And it was great. I had a great time watching it. But I think that the idea of human connection in Upstream Color could be through trauma. But at the same time, I think that trauma doesn't necessarily have to be the world. I think it could be through common experience because that's usually what brings yeah. people together is common experience, whether it is trauma or something yeah. positive, right? I get that's yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I say the word trauma, we immediately take our brains to like the yeah. worst case scenario, it you is, know. And a lot of the examples, like post-traumatic like, stress brain, disorder, yeah. has done a job, man. Brainwashing. That's a bad. That's those are those are pretty traumatic <laughs> yeah. experiences, ding, you know. Ding, like, ding. And, like, and when people think of like 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 collective trauma, which I'll, I'll talk about later, we're thinking like like the Holocaust or nine eleven, you know. These big grieving experiences, you know, yeah. between people that that affects a whole nation. So because of that, and we associate that with the word trauma, yeah. that immediately we've got this huge absence of good, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it, but in its in its actual uh, you know objective form, the word trauma just means a sort of a, a, a missing piece okay. that you're trying to fill, and that can that really is just the loss of something yeah it can be as small or as big as i mean you lose something through adolescence you lose something from going to school yeah you lose something when you drink milk instead of water one day and you realize you hate water you lose you something <laughs> by listening to this shit <laughs> yeah exactly you know, like time of your life and you'll never get it back you yeah. know there, there's <laughs> you'll always wonder why <laughs> and you'll be in a post time lost world uh, that that's traumatic to people you know right. that is what trauma is Every life is dealing with trauma, small and big. Right. And that's okay. what I mean. What the film focuses on. It's not an. It's ambivalent more than negative. It's really yeah. just a neutral term. It's a neutral experience with negatives and positives in the connection and the positive, the negative and the brainwashing. But generally, it's it's life. It's a big cycle of ups and downs. And do you feel <laughs> do you feel that the end that the movie ends on a positive note? The movie ends on a total zero neutral because okay. it is a, because it's a circle. Exactly. Okay. So it goes back to negative. So it has to go to middle ground, and it's about that re almost kind of like a re like the reconnection with yourself. Yeah. As far or at least finally piecing together what you think you need in life, but the same thing. What happens is it starts again. And it might not happen to you, might happen to you, 
doesn't really matter. But uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later because I disagree with yeah. you. Because we were talking about this. <laughs> I disagree. But it's going to be fun uh, to disagree. Because I saw something, and we'll, we'll be able to point it out a little bit later. Because I do think it finishes on a positive note. Because I think that Karuth's main message is like, you're going to have to disconnect at one point you're going to have to make way for something new these social structures are not something that you're supposed to give into and you're supposed to Mm -hmm. shape yourself according to how you feel with like the people around you maybe reconnecting with nature positive or negative depending on how it is but you're going to have to crawl through the mud in order to be reborn into something that you can call a person not just someone who's part of this fucking machine (laughs) and so i think that that would be kind of a fun way to look at it it's a fucked up twisted way to end the film but at the same time (laughs) it's cool i I was like okay there's a sigh of relief that comes in the end of the film for me yeah absolutely i i I totally agree for where chris is at the end of the film it's positive for her and i think even though there is obviously something like never going to get back what she got so we we have stories that we expect people to just win the day and feel true catharsis yeah. and that they have overcome a great deal and monster. This is potentially one of the most real stories of all time where you end different, just different. Yeah. You're not better nor worse. You're just a different person who might just be happy in a different way. Yeah, There's no romance in this in a way. No, even the romance, yeah, no... even the romance, even the scene where there is some romantic attachment, you can tell that it's awkward. It's, it's, it, it feels a little bit forced, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of funny because even at the end of the film, most films would have actually wanted to have that more romantic end where you're like, oh, look, they're finally going to be okay. And you're you're spot on by saying this has nothing to do with them being okay. It just says this is where we are in the story now. Let's yeah, see where uh-huh. it goes. You know? Exactly. That's positive for me. After watching that fucking yeah, movie, that's a really positive way to look at it. I lived a traumatic life. I'm just happy to see people live. <laughs> uh, bring me my pigs. My I pig, want to come yeah, my, my pigs. PTSD has never faded. I shake nightly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So, uh, and so, I mean, if we wanted to get into the the loop of what I what I mean by trauma, I mean we've both already explained the sort of the break off point where the brainwashing kicks in, right? Uh, and Chris is abused, starved, robbed, and uh, we can see that, you know, essentially she starts the film as one person and, and after the brainwashing becomes someone else, mm-hmm. you know, somebody who lacks an identity uh, and and that life that she had before. Somebody shaken to the core who has to kind of piece things together. And, and I mean, the thing about that traumatic experience is that this connects Chris to a chain of the abuse. And as I've already said, that's Jeff the sampler, and more tangentially, the thief. And it's sort of interesting because that suggests they're all, as I was saying, already aware of trauma. And I'd like to define where they fall in that because we have Chris and Jeff, they both clearly went through the same thing. And so there's a hint that this is kind of collective trauma and that that yeah. this is like their shared experience and there's that thing where people who go through one thing... That's why we have AA meetings. It's a good point. And those meetups that help people discuss with like-minded or like-experienced people. And we tend to hoard with people like that. You know, we tend to form communities and relationships based on shared experience. Like, you know, the same will be... That's Those are big things. A, like, you know, you, you go through drug drug abuse or, or you know, be sexual fantasy abuse. Football, you meet up man. with people... Yeah, absolutely. That's what I mean. It could be school. You know, yep. your friends that you have today, you might not all have all the same friends because the experience wasn't as shared as completely. But a lot of the friends that I still have today 
And I mean, I say a lot, I mean like two. <laughs> I, I met in school, you know. Yeah. And that's uh, because we had that shared experience and we went through a lot of the same things. We'll have that. You know, we'll always have that, even if we go different ways. Right. Uh, but a lot of what was post school for us was that rehabilitation of sticking together and bitching about school to get over it and move on with our lives because we hated it, you know? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, and that's, like, that's potentially the widest traumatic experience of all time. It's like, I went to school, it was, I had a good education, and it was really bad. <laughs> but I, it's true, though. I mean, it's, uh, again, that tra- trauma is a broad term. It's not, a, it doesn't always mean big absence in your life. And it's interesting, then, to expand that to the sampler, because I feel like he, his ability to comfort the pigs and understand their trauma, you know, when one go, when we see that, experience of that man lose his wife while the sampler is looking after the pig you know he's touching the pig and we see that this wife cannot connect with this husband who's clearly went through something of a similar traumatic experience as chris and jeff we're seeing that in a reaction to that the sampler feeds the pig and comforts it for the day he sits out with the pig and he looks after it for the day so that's interesting to me because it it paints the sampler as somebody who is both aware of trauma aware of the trauma that these people are suffering, and also, in relation to the pigs, he is careful to look after that trauma. You know, he's careful to nourish it, and he keeps the pigs safe from harm, but he doesn't... He's not harming them, essentially. Mm-hmm. He, he will harm them in a different way later in the film, but he when he realizes that someone's going through something bad, he picks them up and looks after them. And that's why I say that the sampler is something of a counselor and i mean counselor in a, in a broad term as well as like i say trauma because you know counselor at, at an aa meeting that's you know that's a that's a guy who conducts the aa meeting but you a counselor if you if it's if we're just talking about school a counselor could be i don't know your parents someone who's been through an experience similar to yours and has enough experience past that life that they can help guide you through your trauma so that paints a picture of this kind of teacher as such. Someone that you can depend on to guide you in a way. But interestingly, and school's a good block there, is right. because if it's a teacher, <laughs> we already see that if if, if, if they're, those two are related, then we're kind of already starting the cycle or painting the cycle in a similar direction. And that kind of ties into what you were saying about how society starts again, yeah. how your parents interpret what their parents say and what they said and then that becomes your identity essentially you start getting fed by people who have been through the same things in same ways and that's not necessarily a good nor bad thing but it also leads to its own issues right uh in which your identity is then being carved by somebody else even tangentially someone you might not say is right next to each other and uh, i you would see that like chris and jeff aren't even like related they don't know the sampler they haven't seen him bar the time that he actively helps them through the worst of their trauma by taking out the parasite from them and putting it into the pig. Right. He does help them, but he's at that, at that same point now, he's taking on a role of w- walking them through trauma, uh, or monitoring the trauma itself and trying to define it right. within the pig. And in that sense, Danny becomes more of an invasive role even when he's not actually with them. He's looking after that part of them. Right. And now that's where I want to chime in, because if we're breaking this down in terms of structures, 
social structures, okay? This one mm-hmm. represents religion at its most basic. The sampler for me was God. He's a guy who creates sounds, the, th- the sounds sure. that populate our environment and whatnot. And I think that you pointed it out right there in terms of a counselor, as a teacher. He's not necessarily going to really take care of us, but he is this omnipresent thing that's going to take care of a part of our soul. Essentially, that worm at the core, you know, that they have, essentially, is yeah. going to be injected into these pigs. He can overlook these pigs because it's something he can control. But at the same time, on the outside... He's this overseer. If you look at, you know, the connection that he has, you know, if I look at the thief, the thief is a priest. If I want to break it down in terms of religious terms. Yeah. uh It's a priest is like, if you go back to the fifties, priests were in control. They forced belief onto people. You were supposed to act a certain way. And it was a forced indoctrination. The same way as that pill is being forced down Chris's throat. Chris, by the way, is very, you know, if, if she goes through a resurrection, we've got a Christ somewhere in there if we're looking for a homophone uh, in terms of the name, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So the idea that she is going to have to be in charge of her own destiny at one point, where completely separate from God as the sampler, who essentially, once he's done with the pigs, just gets rid of them. You know, the guy has made his money. The thief has made his money. The priest has been paid. God has been paid. The church has been upheld to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And then after that, what are you left with? Nothing. You have no sense of self. You're only indoctrinated to believe a certain thing that was imposed on you. And I think that the sampler in here is not a benevolent man. He is one of the assholes. <laughs> and I wanted to just touch in on yeah. what you were talking about in terms of the pigs. Because the it was a fun conversation that we had because the pig symbolism is something that we had argued a, lot of, a little bit about offline. And I wanted to bring the question that we were talking about here onto the show so that we can actually debate it. And when I was looking into the symbolism of the pig, and this was last minute because we, we had nothing. <laughs> and so I decided to start looking at, at, at well, like pig worship, which is a weird thing. But in but Buddhism, also hilariously a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's it. So, I mean, in Buddhism, the pig is considered to be a representation of the thoughts of the true self in nature. Right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the nature of life. And so how um, it also like sows. The, the are considered really good mothers. So Chris, at the end of the film, for me, and this is the touching point that we had on, is actually breaking the cycle. You know, I said that she was breaking the cycle, the loop that you were talking about uh, just a little bit before, you know, and liberating the pigs and taking care of them. This makes her the great mother who oversees, you know, the protection of the people who were inflicted with that same experience that she had. Yeah. Her killing the sampler breaks that cycle. It's a symbolic killing of God, which is weird if you want to break it down that yeah. way. And even if Chris can't have kids of her own, she becomes the representation of that mother nature, if you will, in a sense where she restores some form of homeostasis. Uh-huh. You know, she's going to complete her own loop. Okay. So I think that, if you look on the other side of things with pigs, usually, you know, if we, we, we have them in different forms and different religions, meaning something different. But on our side, on the Western Hemisphere, you know, pigs are symbol of symbols of greed. Yeah. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, if you just look at Pink Floyd, you know, if you look at animals, what is the biggest giant? It's a fucking pig. Course, you know, so yeah. he's calling the society of, corp- you know, corporate capitalist fucks giant pigs. They're symbols of greed. And I think that 
these three guys, you know, you'll have the the um, the uh, thief, the sampler, and I don't know what the other name is. I think it was the forager, was the person that actually gets the plants. Yes, right. Uh-huh. You know, they all seek to make money off of nature. Yeah. Not only just nature as a representation of where we go, but also human nature. The idea that we are usually wandering lost like these sheep or these pigs or whatever, and we need some form of guidance. Yeah. And so I think that Chris does break the cycle because if the thief can't find the worms and the plants anymore, then there's nobody being drugged anymore. That means the pig farm is going to be safe. And I think that there are there is a scene in the film where he's actually looking for the blue yeah, on the leaves yeah, and, and he, he keeps kind of find it. shake the head towards the camera. You know? I agree. And so he's basically left empty handed. And so I think that that sampler is a fucking asshole too because he <laughs> acts as if he's benevolent, but when he gets shot, you know, that to me was a symbolic killing of whatever weird indoctrination there is going on in society today. So that's I just wanted to that's, touch yeah, back on I that. Yeah, I think that's absolutely interesting. But I also, there are, there are bits of it that I, I feel don't exactly line up for me. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, with the God idea, uh, if we're taking this as a religious structure, I would say... Well, I'm, I'm saying overarching yeah, deity of some I would sort, say, you know? yeah, I would imagine God was something more like what remains. So I guess that might be in the parasite rather than the sampler. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, this yeah, sort of yeah, thing yeah. that you kind of try to keep even, you know, and that connects with you even after the traumatic loss of your religious indoctrin- indoctrination. God, you might you might never get rid of it quite or you might try to reclaim it. It still lives on, so there's, it's in this pig, and there's this person who looks over it. Again, it's not a priest, then. In this case, the sampler is the person who gets you past that religious breakout, but then informs you about how, or tries to reinform you about how the world works post your break, you know? So I, I feel like that that would be different to me. And when it comes... But does it help them, really? That's that's what I mean. It's not help. It leaves them on the side of the road, man. It's you know, No, I... <laughs> It's kind of it's difficult. It's not clear cut. He's not a, a, okay. Okay. He's not a straight up villain. He does do things that aren't always in the best interest of the pigs or the people connected to the pigs. You know, mm-hmm. and that's because he's his own person with his own trauma. Uh, in my in my interpretation, he's his own person with his own trauma, looking after these pigs. And that eventually comes in that he starts seeing things in other people's trauma that he's trying to steer one direction or another. And that's kind of like how your parents, when you start questioning the worldview that they give you, once they teach you beyond, you know, what you're, what you start with as a baby, which is nothing. Uh, once you question that, they'll start pushing hard against it. You know, they'll push against what you're trying to, what you're trying to see in the world because it doesn't fall in line with what they see in the world. Same with teachers. You know, they'll, they'll try to keep you as close to the path as possible, close to right. their path as possible. But you might see things differently. And you'll try and reinterpret things of your own as you go along. And that has to be a part of the process. So I feel like the sampler is someone in that position. Somebody who's there to be rigid. You know, something to push your ideas against. But someone that you ultimately have to overcome to become something of your own person. I feel then that that applies to the ending a little, which I'll go into further detail. But I don't see this as a break in the chain. I see this as the next thing. I Okay, yeah, I, I agree with you that, that it's Chris starting the cycle again. But at the same time, I started thinking about the the uh, the number for uh, the concept of pie. 
you know, that, that, that there's no real circle in life. Yeah. Right. The idea that we have these loops, these loops are, yes, of course, we can physically make a loop and it's going to be okay. But, yeah. You know, we're talking about circumference and whatnot. But if we're looking at it in terms of, you know, we were talking about an omega point when we were talking about Magnolia. I feel like this is where we end on the film, whereas there's this omega point, there's this You're spiral right. do, of things that are going to. That's gonna... exactly the shape. Spiral. That is the best way to. Okay. Because it's, it's not a complete 360, but it's an incremental change that keeps a circle shape, but eventually progresses yep. downwards, restarts itself, and then continues, you know? So it does move in a direction. Okay, I see what you're saying. You're saying essentially that it's a breaking of a previous loop, but it's still a loop. She breaks the cycle, but at the same time, she's starting a new one. So yes, there's, there is there is that circularity yeah. that starts, but it's on a different cog. Yeah, if exactly. I want, if you... Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Cool. I like that. That makes sense to me. Great. Cool. I'm willing to not stop fighting now. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the thing, though. We, we, by by bouncing ideas, we can zero in on what the fuck I'm trying to say and what you're trying to say. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. So, I mean, the connection between Draft and Chris is rehabilitation, and I, I guess it also is interesting in that because they don't one to one see each other, we could even touch on what I was talking about with a ghost story. That people rehabilitate yeah. differently with regards to grief, trauma, obviously tangentially related, but not exactly the same thing. It seems that way with the cards of their relationship because there's a there's a disconnect in what they're trying to say with each other, but at the same time, they are on the same page. You know, they, they can hold the mm-hmm. relationship together based on that joint experience. But regardless, the turn of the story comes when Chris finds out she's pregnant, and then we're getting into that pig imagery that you've, you've yeah, I like went that into. Idea. And I mean, this is really great. This is where the story takes on a, a real hard turn into uh, abstract interpretation. <laughs> yeah, this becomes science fiction. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think to best explain the parasite and the pigs and that connection, best image to talk about is maybe the purity idea from the transcendentalism. Uh, that sense of that that essential bit of identity that you lose through the trauma. The way I try to see it is that the parasites are the process by which purity is taken, and the vessel which supposedly contains that purity afterwards, or symbolically, you know. And that's why I was yeah. get to, talking about how the farmer looks after the trauma. That's essentially what I mean by purity. It's that same that right. essential fragment of yourself. You have a vague outline of what it is, but it you know it's not something you can physically recapture again. It's gone. The pigs act then as a vessel for the parasite, and so the pig becomes symbolic of what was taken from the victims. I feel that does kind of tie into what you're saying about how the, yeah, that yeah. Hinduism look on the pigs as the sort of uh, nurturing of the, of of the, the the minds of people kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's interesting because I feel like the parasite ties and uh, how they garner this uh this parasite within them and they and they host it in on behalf yeah. of the people it does tie into that imagery a little bit so i think that's very interesting and maybe the uh car was was actually looking into that a little uh or he just got lucky <laughs> or was going I for green. i mean when i'm looking at the worm i think that the worm inside the body is the exploration of uh, you know I mean, the foundation of the self, you know, it starts as this single cell. Yeah. He's very careful to use this very interior versus exterior imagery, mm-hmm. you know? And I thought it was really cool because, like, it starts off as that single cell, but then as a fully formed organism, it acts kind of like an umbilical cord. When the sampler is actually pulling it out of uh, Chris. Chris and putting it into the pig, you can see him kind of yank at it. Now, truth be told, I- I've witnessed births and they don't yank at anything. They just kind of <laughs> let things happen. <laughs> And so I I really thought that, you know, it kind of did look like he was trying to 
cut some sort of umbilical cord. There yeah. is that imagery there. The worm, you know, there is a mirror imagery with what you're talking about in terms of the worm and Chris swimming in the pool, right? You have that worm kind of going through yeah. uh, the vessel. And, and that's that's her th- at her most connected with the lost part of her because then she's kind of reliving the trauma. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, there's definitely a connection there with with the imagery, with the motion, and with what she's even saying there is it's it's trying to reconnect there, and that kind of to me that was kind of like rehabilitatory, uh, you know, yep. discussion. You know, it was kind of when you lose a trauma, you try to remember what it was that you lost, what went through, how you lost it, try to own the trauma, you know, and and that to me was yeah. her submerging herself. In it, literally in the in the waters Very of good, her man. own trauma. I love that. That's a really good way to look at it. And I mean, the picking up of the rocks, you know. Yeah, the yeah, the fragments. Piecing yourself together, exactly, you know, exactly. picking those fragments off the bottom of the pond or the pool. Sorry, pond is a reference to Thoreau because even in, in, in Walden, it's Walden Pond, right? And so you have this idea that water is this one big thing that Thoreau is surrounded by yeah. while he was there at, at Walden Pond. So it still ties into transcendentalism a little bit, but at the same time, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he yeah, froze yeah. us in right. here. But all, yeah, if this continues to have better loops than we could ever grasp, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, so I mean, when the pigs represent Chris and Jeff's taken trauma, when when that trauma connects as close as it can, and essentially the pigs themselves become intimate, it becomes this own different thing, and it becomes mm-hmm. sort of the ch- the piglets then kind of like the offshoot. Of the trauma, almost like there's a tangential key there into rehabilitation that actually doesn't let you regather exactly what you lost, but you get the best elements of the trauma, and that takes on a life of its own, okay? Okay, uh, yeah. So, it's, I mean, it's symbolically, though, this it could represent Chris's inability to have children suggesting that symbolically it was really cancer that took away her life you know that her previous life that trauma was from her having cancer and and that the thief is imagery with which we can understand cancer he's not supposed to be a literal character but more symbolic of the trauma what the traumatic event which was chris had cancer and she couldn't go she lost her job she lost her savings she lost her identity and life beforehand that trauma for her if we wanted to nail down where in the narrative it was of what it was or what shape it took, it was actually yeah. cancer. As we get later on in the dialogue about her being unable to have children, she really did. And that was the interpretation of the thief. What stole her identity from her was cancer. Yeah. Similarly, Jeff lost his marriage. That's far more open because we didn't spend time with Jeff because we don't really get a significant time with Jeff. It's a little more iffy. It's just really a number of things with what his trauma could be. Because we still know he went through a similar thing with the money and the comf- and his loss of job. But, I mean, that could be substance abuse, alcoholism, anything. We kind of get the impression that the reason why his marriage failed is because he was caught stealing money. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, and, But that's the financial way in how Chris loses her identity as well. Suggests that finance is just a part of that. Uh, yeah. And so it might not have been specifically the money that we lost. The money could just be another symptom of... You know, he could have had cancer himself. He could have. I mean, if they share this, if they share this trauma, it could be the exact same thing. So it could just be cancer on both ends. 
but it could be something very similar that took their lives from them. And are you are you saying that cancer cancer you know literally, or is this cancer as a catch all term for like? No, something I mean that, of quite a, of... literally. That was this for these characters specifically in narrative. Chris had cancer, and that's what the okay. the, the form that the thief took. Okay. Uh, so that's what I mean by that. The piglets then are born out of out of that shared rehabilitation, and here's where the sampler. Here's where the sort of negative side of his his character comes into play because of his drowning of the piglets we have to look at him as this figure this teacher this counselor where the limit is when it comes to rehabilitation where the wall is set up by these figures and how they can take us so far and then ultimately stop us from making the final plunge to really capturing our identity in a po- in a healthy post-traumatic way uh, right. And that's not to say that you know these. This is a film denouncing that that role in people's lives. Uh, but uh-huh. I mean, I think that what Karuf is trying to say is that often this is what happens. Uh, you can come to a rehabilitatory breakthrough that will be taken from you by the people who are huh. trying to get you there. You know. And ultimately, this is something that they, they might do it by accident. It's not necessarily... It could be just a simple, neutral thing that they don't see that as re- rehabilitation. And therefore, right. they stop it. I mean, if they think that that parasite... If, if we think the sampler thinks the parasite might be transferred to the piglets, he doesn't want them to grow up. Under that, we, this could be something that he feels isn't healthy for those piglets. And, you know, therefore, it devalues their lives. So he, in his head, is doing them a favor, you know? You could interpret it right. that way. Or you can interpret it that he's he's actively preventing these people from making a breakthrough with their rehabilitation. I mean, that's I wide like that open. Idea. Yeah. So, well, of course you you hate him. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, I do. <laughs> but that's I, I think that's really interesting then because we get to it, but that ties into very clearly what I where I think the mantle is taken by Chris at the end of the film. But those right. piglets then they're drowned in the water. The blue dye goes into the orchids. And the original aggressor, the thief, makes the brainwashing drug inevitably out of that. You know, the, you know there's mm-hmm. the, the forager, but the thief combined. These people take the essentially the purity of a breakthrough and warp it and weaponize it. Uh, and that's kind of yep. in this spiral, in the circle, where the downfall of these social structures, where the downfall of breakthroughs and trauma come in, is that we can see it as stigma. We could see it as grounds that we can't recover again, or we could see it as an actively antagonistic element to society that right. even when society moves on, as I feel this spiral does, yep. yeah, yeah, the, this, these elements find a way to reuse the new rehabilitatory essence of what was pure about the breakthrough and turn it against us. So, I mm. mean... Essentially, what we're looking at is people who actively go out of their way to hurt people. Yeah, but isn't it a form of denying free will? Yeah, absolutely. If you want to look at it in the in the sort of in the religious brainwashing sort of perspective, it becomes right. these people who fight to control people again. If we look at the cancer angle, that's harder right. to define what exactly the essence of the of the breakthrough from cancer is. Yeah. You know, like. But ultimately, it could be something like... It's life that goes on. Yeah, hope. <laughs> it could be them using hope and turning it against people. Ah, I you like know? that. That's good. So yeah. it's, it's, it's really... It's open, very open <laughs> to the interpreta- interpretation of the viewer and, and the structure that you're trying to piece together. But essentially, yeah. the important thing is that that essence is being weaponized in some shape uh-huh. or form 
by these people. And what's interesting then is that when Chris takes control of her trauma at last right, and kills the sampler, and that's the final act in the film, it makes sense to see it as the breaking of the chain because it is the circle has been broken, but the spiral continues. Yes. The sampler, the way I like to see it is imagine, uh, you know, fucking God forbid, you lose a child to murder or lose a loved one to murder. Uh, You know the justice you feel when you see the person who murdered your child go to jail? I'd rather not picture that, but I'll understand. Yeah, well, I mean, think of cancer even, you know. Imagine, you know, you break through in cancer in general, you know. It feels like that, that what defined cancer by that point in time no longer exists. Because you've finally right. defeated it. Is cancer gone? You know, if we look no. at cancer, because there's going to be a new cancer. There's always, the way diseases work, there's a, there's always a cancer of some, it takes yep. a different name for every iterative generation, but there's always cancer. Uh, right. That cancer that you know, though, could be wiped out. You know, we could cure cancer. Absolutely. And hopefully will huh. very soon. That's what Chris does. She helps in a different direction beat cancer and then becomes by defeating the sampler becomes someone who takes on that role in society who helps those who have gone through the cancer that she's gone through and taken the steps that she's taken and ultimately she's gotten rid not of cancer but of the person who identified cancer as what she got over when really it was her own experience it was something different and that experience that was being related to is something slightly different so right. essentially, it's almost like saying you outlive your parents. Okay, I like that. You outlive your parents and you outlive your their worldview and you develop your own eventually when they leave you in this world based on what iterative changes you've made from their parenting, you know? And then you'll go on to raise your own children and you'll teach them what you learned and then they'll start the same system where they'll rebel at some point. And then they'll make their own changes, and then you'll die, and then they'll take over, and they'll do, and that's where the spiral comes in, and that's what's interesting. So when she, when Chris takes over this pig farm with all these people that are around her to help her, we don't know that the sampler was alone when he started the pig farm. We don't even know if he was the start of the pig farm. He could have just been taking it over himself. But he's the last one left. And ultimately, that means he's the guiding voice for all this trauma. For all these people's trauma, he is this message for these people. These pigs. And ultimately, with him gone, someone fills that role. And it makes sense that it's Chris. Because if the trauma, that the rehabilitatory loss in the pig farm was the piglets for the sampler, Chris is the one who's going to want to change that. But Chris has her own bias. Maybe she doesn't like hooves. Okay. Maybe she doesn't like mud. Maybe she doesn't like pigs getting to a certain age. Maybe she feels like pigs should be in a smaller pen so they're safer together. Maybe she feels that because her piglets were taken from her, there should be way more piglets. Too many, you know? Right. Ultimately, the trauma evolves, but it's a different trauma, you know? It's still a, a problem. And the thing is, essentially, that uh, what I feel is, if that's the response she takes, pigs will die. And she'll probably dispose of them in a river. Uh, it might not okay. be the same river. But I mean, but she's not alone, man, at the no, end of the no, film. No, no, no. She, she brings those people. That's what I mean, though. That's what's interesting. At the end of the okay. film, we get that, that respite of relief that you get when you see justice, you know? When you right. carve your identity for yourself and you finally make made it to who this different person is, you know, the right. trauma is under your control. You now have that pig, you know, you now know what the trauma is. 
You had to get rid of the, the other voices. And you invite people in to discuss what the trauma is even when you get that farm, you know? Right. But, as with the sampler, that could have been the same story. He could have done the exact same thing. Had it came a bunch of people, then became this definitive voice. Because his trauma was his, and it was bigger and stronger than the rest. And he goes out of his way to look after these pigs. And maybe everybody else is gone by that point. Or maybe the shared community combines themselves to become a, a, a legion of voices of which to, to help people in their trauma for the future, you know. And then that's the iterative shape that that takes. That there's more than one sampler going forward. But Chris is definitely one of them, is the point. Chris is somebody who yeah. is who is that person who has their defined worldview. And going forward, when dealing with the farm, whatever way they dispose of or tackle the issue, there's an, there's mm -hmm. an, an opposite issue that develops post-film. Now, at the film end, we're happy. But as with life, you die, you know? And... Chris is going to die too. Yeah. And Chris is probably well, going to get killed by, you know, somebody else who comes for their trauma. If she's a parent, somebody's going to come for her, you know? If she's right, a, right, right, right. She's a cancer survivor. Somebody's going to outlive her. The death is a symbolic one, not a physical one. The sampler doesn't mm -hmm. die. His role as the sampler is dead. So Chris then becomes part of this communal sampler. And however they deal with the trauma that these pigs then inhibit, it's more than likely that they realize that they're just going to keep on taking parasites and putting them in the pigs because it helped her in the initial phase. And she feels that that was a good part. Oh, okay. That helped her rehabilitate, you know? That was a positive thing that helped her. She got rid of the trauma in its initial form. And the sampler was, a even if it was for his pigs, he didn't really have anything to gain. We never see him get any gains from the fact that these pigs have parasites. So we have to assume it's benevolent. It's somebody's going out of their uh, way. I don't to know, man. Them. I think that he was just, he was, um, I thought he was just using them to record sounds, to be honest. Maybe. I mean, absolutely. There's always that aspect that you there was could a purpose get something from helping people i mean altruism doesn't exist in my view so mm. this guy he could be helping people for the right reasons and getting a little something of it for himself maybe financial if he's a counselor he gets paid doesn't he so i mean yeah there's there are these factors nothing is clear cut nothing is so simple as there are good and bad but ultimately yeah. this trauma repeats itself maybe not in the same way maybe that version of the thief is dead you know his career is gone right. that life but there will be a different thief in a different form because these pigs die, inevitably, mm -hmm. and they rot. And that essence in the parasite is still going to get to the earth, no matter where they go. It doesn't have to be through a river. can go through a tree, can go through the ground, can go through the dirt, can make up into flowers. They'll be blue, people will pick them, and they will weaponize them. <laughs> you know? The right. cycle is a spiral, and it continues based on the <laughs> this, this shared idea of what trauma becomes after trauma has been lived past. And so that's kind of what I saw in the film. I have something to support that. Yeah. And it's in it's in Karuth's visual language. Uh, just the opening shot of the film. Really? Right. The opening shot is of trash, which is what you're talking about, essentially. It's, it's essentially the end of a cycle. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, the idea that the trash that he's taking out are those loops. There's a circularity there as well. So we have there's an emphasis on the circularity given the opening shot of the rings on screen and so everything goes through the life cycle which is essentially what you're talking about so we've got an interesting visual cue as to what the structure of the film is going to be like yeah just in that first shot it's that signal that something has come to an end but seeing as that it's the beginning of the film we have our new beginning and our end in the first fucking shot of the movie absolutely absolutely and, and so i mean ingenious. that really Absol supports exactly what you're talking about so i think that it's kind of 
uh, a weird thing to start the movie with because if it goes to support what you're saying as the opening shot, he's also testing the audience's ability for perception. Yeah, right? absolutely. Uh-huh. The fact that he's asking you to make a choice, is this the end or is it the beginning? I have no idea. It's the end of something, clearly, because... That's it's, where it's, trash oh, goes. Yeah, it's that's and we end. never. I, the, the amazing thing is we never see that image. I mean, we do see trashing of the of those uh, links at the end yeah, of, of Chris's brainwashing. But after that point, we never see we see people make links, but we never see them getting the, we, the thief basically disappears. The, uh, the the trashing never happens again. Uh, we only see the thief again to note that he's been done in. He's it's basically his career yeah. is over as that. You know, it's the end of that particular weaponizing of trauma you know we could even stipulate that the the fact that he's throwing out that trash at the beginning of the film that could have actually been the end of jeff's cycle yeah we have no idea it could be implied it's kind of weird because that's essentially what you're saying is that we're all going to end up at the trash at one point well it's true we all die <laughs> and, i mean <laughs> and it's gonna be we're gonna have to start from scratch somewhere else no matter what it is we are yeah well that's that's essentially how trauma works you know in, in life you'll go through it 15 20 50 times you know Small or big, yeah. you will start a separate identity for yourself. I mean, I started an identity for myself when I first met Maria, you know? I started a new yeah. identity for myself when I got married because now I'm some people will refer to me as some husband or uh you know yeah, that you sort of belong thing. Belong to someone exactly. Else. I'm no longer a boyfriend, you know. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> I start a new identity when I I look after. I got cats, so I, I, now I'm a cat guy. Apparently, you know, that's the kind of shit. The little trauma is that that missing life before because now I'm not a guy who didn't have cats. <laughs> Another shot that I thought was interesting is is the the shot of the broken windshield. Uh, at the beginning of the film, you'll have the guy, the thief that's actually putting out the trash. We'll see the two dudes that see him basically uh, dealing drugs. Uh, and he's basically, the one of the guys is buying drugs from the thief so that he can make that, that drink. And as the thief leaves, you know, the focus is on the windshield of the car that's actually broken. It looks like yes, he's gotten a right. rock. And it's kind of funny because I think that in this case, what Karuth might actually be suggesting is that we're riding along with someone who has a broken worldview. <laughs> Uh, you think it's a reflection of Karuth himself? I don't think it's a reflection of Karuth himself. I think it's a reflection on how people are going to abuse nature for their own gain. Right, yeah. You know, that we're riding along with someone that we have to say suspect because if he's riding along with his broken windshield, he's not necessarily someone who likes to fix shit. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? That makes sense. No, you're totally right. That's great. And so if this plays into how he's an individual uh, who takes advantage of people by brainwashing them to steal their money, you know, I think that it's kind of funny because maybe with that broken windshield you have this anti-capitalist stance that's not necessarily implemented in that shot but as the movie goes along and you see that he's actually trying to take advantage of people yeah i don't know if karuth is trying to be like all marxist about you know this whole <laughs> thing but i'm pretty sure that there is a marxist interpretation of upstream color somewhere in oh, there absolutely if there if there's a societal uh, discourse to be had, then there's a breaking of societal discourse to be had. <laughs> well, I mean, just just look at just look at how you know the 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 if we if we're going to take the anti-capitalist angle, look at how Jeff later confesses to Chris that you were talking about he he that he stole money from a company. He used mm-hmm. to be a thief as well. That was part of the cycle that he had before. But then after that, and this this is one of the things that I was like, Ugh, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, this is one visual thing that I was like, this is terrible. This is amateur shit. But it doesn't matter to a certain extent. Is when he's dumping the documents from the fifth floor of the Yeah, building, I was like, literally just making that like, yeah, fuck my previous held assumptions of society. Uh, Goodbye, box of documents from yeah, my 
my and, career that doesn't matter anymore. He, <laughs> but but he, I mean, then he turns around and he's, he's literally fist fighting capitalism by beating the two sh- <laughs> the guys. And so that was one of the ones that I was like, eh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a so little on the nose. nose definitely. <laughs> but I mean, one of my favorite things about the visual language of, of upstream color is what I'm going to call. <laughs> this is, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this is going to catch on or not is what I call the insinuation subversion and how he presents certain images objects and or a scene you know that uh that you know that 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 alters your perspective on things that he's not necessarily committing to a subversion of itself but he's posing the possibility and saying you can look at it this way you can look at it this way it could be a little bit of both or one or the other it's open and interpretive it's depending on how your identity is shaped you'll be able to interpret certain situations In certain ways. I think I think and people I mean, who watch blockbusters will call that bad writing. <laughs> <laughs> Possible. But I mean, it ties into transcendentalism. It, it basically, like, what we're taking to the movie is we, we project what we know onto the film and we're going to expect something from it. Maybe not God, but at least we'll get some yeah, sort of right. some feedback, you know. And I think one of the things, like, what I'm talking about in terms of insinuation subversion is the making of the pill the one with the worm yeah uh-huh. you know and i think the making of the worm like really sets the audience down a weird path because it's one where this idyllic nature you know is also presented as this place where there's this weird like corruption yeah absolutely you know what i mean you literally have to bur- roast a worm alive to get the juice from it like a heroin addict <laughs> well exactly i mean you know the plant that the thief uses grows in nature but it's used in two different manners in the film yeah uh-huh. right you'll have it basically for one for recreation which is essentially what you're saying to roast it in order to kind of have that that little yeah, weird buzz where yeah, you're controlling your friend's body friend, but yeah exactly <laughs> And then one for manipulation, you know, and then you'll have the idea of a pill that's usually used to help individuals. Pharmacy, people are going to be treated for for depression with pills. You could just take fucking Advil for Christ's sake for some pain that you have Mm -hmm. in the Gulliver. Just borrow some parlance from across the ocean there. Uh, but it, I mean, you have this guy actually using it to harm, yeah. which is one of those things where you're like, okay, he's, he's not subverting anything, but he's insinuating that there is a subversion that's there. You know, he's not saying this is what I think that the pill can be used as, but he's saying, well, look, these yeah, are options. These, yeah. These things are broader than they look. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I, you know, this is another thing that, uh, that I thought was really weird because I had never seen it used this before. And it's the uh, bag, uh, valve mask that he uses. Mm. The, thief uses to pump you know the, 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 the worm pill directly into chris. into chris yeah yeah exactly i mean this is again an instance of what i i'm gonna call insinuation subversion i wish there was a better term someone <laughs> send me a better term where that object was specifically designed to give people air to save people and here it's used as a weapon to attack and drug someone yeah right and so i think that like what i was touching upon a, a little bit earlier the, you know the idea of this representation of indoctrination is something that's pumped into your head at a young age <laughs> and then you kind of have to come into your own at one point yeah. as some born again you know so we're talking about capitalism or religion again you know so i think that the idea that you have the system being pushed into you as opposed to you being sucked into the system is a really weird subversion in and of itself you know the idea that maybe there's something more to it maybe it's not necessarily your fault 
You know, yeah, it's absolutely. being forced yeah. upon you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's another breathing apparatus in the film as well, where the sampler is actually using uh, uh, drugs to put the pig out, to put it to sleep. That's right. Uh-huh. You know, and I mean, that's another thing, you know, when, when you say that someone is waking from this weird dream, you know, you, you've had these uh, these people uh, come out of Scientology and said that they've they've been awoken to 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 certain things, you know. So you have this waking process, you know, uh, that that's going on. And I mean, yeah. the, 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 the sampler, if I want to use my God imagery again, this is a guy who's put people to sleep in order to take advantage of them. Absolutely. You know, he's basically putting the fucking worm inside the pig and this is the thing that he can control. You know, and I mean, if you look at it, even when the pig wakes up, he's guided towards a pen through these really narrow hallways. That's what indoctrination is. It's it's this one little path that you're allowed to. But there's a whole other world outside those paths that you're not allowed to see. Yeah. And so that pig is being guided to a specific location. Um. I think my favorite scene in the entire film is probably one of the most complex right. in terms of uh, of how to interpret it, and it's the abduction scene. Yeah, I mean, because there's a lot of imagery thrown at you, even though the action's quite simple. Yeah, exactly. It's very weird because once the door kicks open, the shot is of an overhead shot, and then it crabs. It, it cuts to this crab right shot. Yeah, you know where the the the, the camera's going to dolly right now. An over-the-head shot usually represents death or some imminent death, but it can also represent that God's watching. Okay, yeah. It's one of those things, you know, when you're watching the end of a film, uh, like a, a musical or something like that, they'll have that ca- that crane shot. If you look at the end of Sound of Music, that, that shot goes up. The end of Mary Poppins, that shot goes up. So it's basically leading you on to a different day, mm-hmm. okay? But in movies, most of the time, you're going to use that shot as an overhead shot as the, the spirit leaving the body. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's the symbolic death of something. Thing, but it could be the beginning of something again so we have that imagery from the first shot of the film again where it's the trash is symbolic of the end of something but maybe the beginning of something as well because it's the beginning of the film uh yeah so uh, yeah exactly you're immediately getting that um, insinuation subversion with uh, with both life death and rubbish all the same image well, exactly all, all these the... mixed signals from just 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 the, the way it's framed exactly and i mean if that crab right usually is like heading towards some uncertain future mm-hmm. right so i mean in that just those two shots you know and uh, well let me rephrase that because i forgot to include one crucial part of information there's a mirror image with the beginning of the film again because the thief takes her out into a back alley and the back alley is usually where people throw out their trash if you look carefully in the background you can see garbage bins there as well mm-hmm. so he's also taking out the trash again but at the same time if we compare it to the beginning of the film where the taking out of the trash is symbolic of the end of something in the beginning of something as well yeah we have that again in the abduction scene where he's communicating all these things at the same time what do you make of this is this a symbolic death is it a rebirth is it a birth that she wants is she part of that trash is the trash that she's going to be part of a new beginning for her is this a death of who she was and who she's going to become is going to be birthed out of this yeah and is it a good thing is it a bad thing or kind of thrown to the wayside because like literally the imagery is so mixed and the action looks as bad as it gets but because you're getting these sort of religious images and you're, yeah. you're getting this sort of positive stim- stimulus from like just how it's presented you're uh, and especially when it comes to as you were saying with the breathing apparatus this is supposed to be life you know this is supposed to be a yeah. start again so it's it should be a good thing but it's it looks pretty bad <laughs> and it, it is it looks pretty bad i mean look and it's raining at the same time yeah you know rain is one of those things that's just one of those yeah it means a bad bad signs yes but at the same time water is what gives life to nature yeah 
That's what absolutely and so you, so again, mix, this is fucking mixed That signals. whole scene, exactly. The whole scene is this mix of things. It's like, what do you guys think of this? And it goes back to what you're talking about in terms of a rape scene as well, because that is essentially what it is. He's yeah, forcing right. himself well, upon yeah, her. Very much in, in narrative, that's a rape scene. And so, I mean, it's really, really... A strange, like I said, when I was piecing this one together, I was like, holy fuck, there's a lot going on in that scene. And it might seem Mm -hmm. like nothing. It might seem like just an abduction. But no, if you look at the visual language that Karuth is using throughout the entire film, especially the use of water, worms, you know, and just the, 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 the imagery using the trash trash is so prevalent throughout the entire film <laughs> yeah. people throw things away like you wouldn't believe you know she even walks into her house at one point and there's trash all over the fucking house yeah, you know she's right, like what right. the hell's going on and Absolutely. the trash bags that he uses to dump the pigs over like yeah. the, the cliff you know and so I mean I even picked up on on uh, one of the scenes that seems to be taken out directly from uh, Walden and I'm going to read it I have a quote here because there's a scene in the film where Chris is sitting in her backyard. She's just listening to nature. She seems to be yeah. taking it in for the first time after the uh, after she's been woken up on the side of the road. And she's just kind of like, what the hell is going on? And it's really weird. So I'm going to read the passage from Thoreau. It's on page 84 for you guys who want to see it in a chapter called Sounds. And the passage from Thoreau reads like this. Sometimes in a summer morning, having taken my accustomed bath, I sat in my sunny doorway from sunrise till noon, wrapped in reverie amidst the pines and hickories and sumacs in undisturbed solitude and stillness while the birds sang around or flitted noiseless through uh, the house until by the sun falling at my west window or the noise of some traveler's wagon on the distant highway i was reminded of the lapse of time now what thoreau seems to be communicating here is peace yeah you know he seems to be very much at peace with what's going on and he's just trying to take in how nature is Mm -hmm. when you look at what's happening with chris chris is taking it in in a completely different way it seems to be the exact same thing it's like karuth took that quote and decided to put it in visual imagery and he's saying well what if she's not at peace with anything yeah it kind of it's kind of like the reverse of that exact imagery you know exactly where uh in in walden throw becomes aware of time after the wagon arrives and therefore, that human element disturbs nature. It's now, at the side of the road. That's where we find Chris at first. Find her. You know? Exactly. So, and she's, she's coming from a place where she's been disturbed. And her first action is to try and piece it together through nature. What Karuf is saying is that, you know, maybe it works... <laughs> maybe it works for Thoreau one way but if you go from <laughs> if you come from the other direction you're not going to just piece yourself together you 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 can be made aware of time by just calming down in nature as much as you can by being woken right. by a wagon you know basically <laughs> i think it points to a really interesting dichotomy between these two these two narratives you know upstream color and walden thoreau did this by choice yeah and in upstream color they're not doing it by choice and so I think that what Karuth is pointing to is one of those little things that's untalked about, you know, unmentioned, if you will. Yeah. Is that Thoreau did this willingly. He went into nature and he was able to find himself. And it's all really fun and games, but he didn't stay there that long. And he went back to society and he wrote, he's a, considered wrote a good book about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. A really good yeah, book. Really profitable. I, I, Exactly. People are still reading it today. And it's like, this is the essence of who we are. And you're like, fuck you. Yeah, but at the same time, 
I, well, exactly. The, the funny thing is, is that it's a little hypocritical of Thoreau to say, learn from my teachings. I think that Caruth might actually be a little bit along those lines. And like, yeah. fuck your teachings. Look yeah. what can happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's one of those things like, I didn't have a choice. These people didn't have a choice the way that you decided to take advantage of nature the way that you were doing it. What if people are being taken advantage of I mean, using yeah. nature? Well, I mean, it's that's, that's different... one of those examples. Like, I mean, I know it's a film that you don't like, but the actual story it's, that it's inspired by into the wild it's literally one of those guys you know one of those guys yeah, inspired yeah. by the great transcendental fi- uh, figures like throw takes the the, <laughs> the, the meaning and then he just goes out and lives that life and dies <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's what happens and that's you know the that's reality cycle. you can't just do that you you're you we we build our houses to live not to get away from nature to survive right. with nature so yeah i think you're totally right when karuf says you know yeah it's all well and good for you rich guy who lived in a cabin for a couple of days but like <laughs> there you go it's, <laughs> i love that that's a right way to say it uh but yeah it doesn't it doesn't work that way if you're just joe Smo, you're just getting used you know and ultimately you'll get fucked over by these ideal all uh, ideologies and that's just what happens common man gets fucked all the time because rich guy tells you how to feel <laughs> <laughs> and that's a great way to close out this episode rich guy tells you how to feel i like that <laughs> you know and so that's it i mean but uh yeah i mean just just closing thoughts and whatnot i don't know if you had any more to say i kind of pretty much i think we covered a lot of yeah, what i wanted to yeah. talk about i know I'm, I'm fair i'm just i feel it's something it's beyond the interpretation that we've presented i feel that like like you've said uh, with this ango story you bring a lot of yourself into this uh, yeah. Uh, particularly, I mean, if you think of like the way that I view trauma, I mean, trauma couldn't be more personal. So when you go into this and you discuss like how it reminds you of potential like rape discourse or something like that, or an experience yeah, yeah. like ca- how cancer affects your. Know, I'd love Carrie's take on rape discourse. Yeah, being being part. somebody knowledgeable about the discourse and where to go yeah, for that. That'd be great. That's man. a point of view worth discussing in more detail. I went broad strokes as I think that you, we kind of zeroed in on a few things when it comes to understanding <laughs> these kind of bigger structures but there's there's minimal structures in there as well and we maybe it's not our place to go into that because i don't know we're, we're privileged white guys ourselves <laughs> indeed we are <laughs> but yeah i i feel this course doesn't stop here so I, I want people to watch this and i want people to bring something of themselves to this and pick this up again somewhere because we could, we could be off, we could be on, we could be groundwork, whatever. Let's we got to continue it because it's one of those films. It's one of those films that deserves it more importantly. And I think that you you pointed out something really great at the beginning when you're talking about you know experiential. This is an experiential film, and I think Caruth is pointing to the fact that our senses act differently depending on where we are. You know, depending on you know yeah. we're talking about water, we're talking about land throughout this entire thing, and what grows from nature and what we can use either for good or bad. You know, and I mean, even when I pointed out earlier that sound and touch are really important in the film, I didn't want to do that. But look at look at how many times people touch things in the movie. Yeah, you'll absolutely. see hands rubbing on on sheets. You'll see them rubbing on walls. You'll see people that are like even at the beginning of the film, he rubs the plant leaves and whatnot. You know, he even scrapes it with a knife. Look at how many times people are actually touching. Even the, the two boys at the beginning of the film, one blocks the other guy. They're actually holding hands. Yeah, you absolutely. know, there's a lot of touching going on. The sound, the sound design was really really important to get these soundscapes that are kind of mimicking what nature would sound like, but not necessarily. You see that there's something troubled in there yeah and i think and that, that plays into the sampler as well and the way he manipulates yep. uh, nature to try to get these particular results you know there's absolutely a discourse there on how, how even he takes advantage of nature in a different way from what the thief does 
and how to sort of work that into its own interpretation. And and and, and sound design plays a huge part of that. And um, you know, where it's it's linear notes from us. <laughs> yeah. When I mean, look, I mean, I think that upstream color, what, what Karuth is really trying to do is to show that, you know, depending on the experiences that you have, you know, one's cognition of the self uh, is going to be different depending on the experience or the variety of situations that one goes through. Look at Chris and Jeff when they come face to face. Identity wise, they're a mirror image, you know, and so Karuth isn't necessarily interested in the physical aspect of people yeah. because identity comes from within. That's why we see that single-celled organism. That's why we see that that worm starts to manipulate. He wants to go inside and see what makes us tick and then kind of bring it out, kind of extract it the same way as the guy is extracting the drug from the plant, the same way as the worm is extracted from the pig, and the same way the memories are extracted from these people. And so I think that if you're going to make a case for it, this is a really, really dense film yeah, absolutely. That I would consider. Uh, I'll probably rewatch this. Maybe not now, but I'm going to rewatch it because it's one of those movies that, you know, depending on how I'm going to be, I'm I'm 37 right now. Perhaps like when I hit 40, I'll see something different in there because of absolutely. like my kids are getting older, and I'll be able to like, oh shit, I hadn't picked up on that before. So like to me, I can't recommend this enough. Yeah, obviously. Absolutely. This is a cinephile's film. So if you guys are interested in, 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 in movies, you know, look, you can break down more visual language. I didn't have an extra three hours yeah, to, to break it all down here for you, but I have, we said it I have, I have 15 pages of notes for fuck's sake. So, yeah. I mean, there's a lot there. So, I mean, yeah, I, I love this movie. I think it's a really good film and I'm looking I'm, forward to I'm really to glad we got around to it. We finally got to it. Yeah, I'm also really grateful we took that year. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we close this out, sir? Let's do it, man. All right, so I want to thank everyone who tuned in. I forgot to make a little video thanking everyone to, who tuned in to our Terminator 2 episode, uh, to a ghost story as well. I actually put out Baby Driver again because it, uh, you know, it was being released. I don't remember where. And yeah. uh, Edgar Wright had been tweeting about it again. So I want to thank everyone who's been tuning in to uh, our most recent episodes. Uh, I want to thank to uh, thank uh, Stephen M. Keller, at Stephen M. Keller, sorry, uh, for sending in his little... Um, uh, message his little yeah. tweet yeah Jameson Worsley give him a follow as well at Worl Jen uh, and Carrie Lynn obviously is really great and check out be sure to check out she was on Hugo's There podcast yeah. talking about a book I forgot what That's it was at Hugo's podcast and it was called the third body three body, three problem? body problem that's exactly it something like that yeah so basically people who won the Hugo award uh, and so that's it she was on there and she's a really uh, really fascinating conversation thought it was really really good yeah so absolutely give that a listen as well so Carrie Lynn big shout out to you that's it for me man go ahead uh, yeah absolutely and one shout out for me is to the Joy Sandwich podcast we actually guessed oh, it all not yes. to the episode's not, probably not going to be out yet even when we've done this because they told us it would be a while before it gets out but we had a great yep. time recording with them and I got I just got today uh, a little sticker from them uh, which is adorable and a little card thanking me for being nice. a guest Jason got one too uh, so uh, super big shout out to them uh, Jessica and Noam uh, who were just the friendliest loveliest guys who listened to us yammer on about crap for a fucking lifetime and they were just yeah. just the most positive pleasant people to have a discussion with can't recommend the podcast enough uh, but yeah uh, from me uh, my name's Lee Brady uh, you can follow me at Big Pick Reviews 
Uh, you can also see my reviews of films at bigpicturereviews.co.uk. Jason's on there too, as well as a host of writers. Uh, with mostly new uh, new releases that we focus on, but we're doing some stuff with some uh, older stuff as well. So it's absolutely, if you want to see more of uh, my takes on films in written form, there's that. Other than that, I'm here at the podcast. Uh, so you can just, you know, listen to our back catalog. <laughs> Jason. Very cool. And my name is Jason Michael. You can find me at Atlantic SC on Twitter, or you can follow us on our Facebook page, Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Please go give that a like. It would be great. If you guys are listening to us on SoundCloud, be sure to click that little heart button. We want to get you guys into it. We've got 26 hearts so far. That's too little for me. So please show <laughs> us some love on that. Be great. Don't forget to download our latest episodes on iTunes. Also, we're on Google Play now. So, yeah, thank you so much. And please give us a follow on Instagram. I'm actually going to start using that one a little bit more. I like the idea that we're going to be able to share videos and images and whatnot. Yeah, it's been a absolutely. lot of fun. Uh, you can follow me at Jason B. Michael. That's going to be the, my personal page. But you can follow the Atlantic SC podcast on Instagram as well. It's been a great time. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. That's it for us this week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.